turbulent times call for clear-headed insight. That's hard to come by these days, especially on TV. That's where we come in. Salem News Channel has the greatest collection of conservative minds all in one place. People you know and trust, like Dennis Prager, Eric Metaxas, Charlie Kirk, and more. Unfiltered, unapologetic truth. Find what you're searching for at snc.tv and on Local Now Channel 525. There's a battle going on for the souls of men. The taste of war is ever dear. But I am safe within the arms of God's dear bride. She is the keeper of my soul. She is the church of Christ. I'll not surrender. I'll not surrender. Ladies and gentlemen, Rick Breidenbaugh of the Gospel Defender Ministries. This gospel message will encourage and equip those who have ears to hear to be a Christian, clothed with the armor of a gospel defender. I'll not It was in Acts chapter 17 that Apostle Paul entered the large, wicked, heathen metropolis of Corinth. The city was so wicked that for someone living outside of Corinth to be called a Corinthian was an invitation to a fight. The city was filled with every kind of sin imaginable. The religion of its choice was sexual immorality. A temple dedicated to the old profession of prostitution stood in downtown Corinth with prostitutes sitting on every step of the temple, waiting to serve anyone who had the money. And there were more than enough men who did. Corinth was a popular port city among the sailors who visited it. Sailors could walk up and down the temple steps, selecting the lady of their choice. And there were plenty of ladies from which to choose. It was to this city that Paul came, after preaching in Acts 17 a message in Athens about the unknown God. Paul knew no sooner arrived in Corinth than he met a Christian couple whose names were Aquila and Priscilla. They not only had in common the belief that Jesus of Nazareth was the Christ, the only begotten Son of God, who had resurrected from the dead, they had a mutual trade, that of tent-making. It was while he stayed with this couple that Paul reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded both Jews and Greeks, at least some of them. 
Like anywhere he went, he made enemies because of the gospel message he preached. But he also made Christians. One particular Christian was Crispus, of verse 8, the ruler of the synagogue. He, with many other Corinthians, listened to what Paul preached. They believed what they heard and were baptized. Because Jesus said in Mark 16, verse 16, He who believes and is baptized will be saved. We know that a local body of Christians, the church that Jesus said he would build in Matthew 16, verse 18, was established in Corinth, a city of sin and corruption. After continuing there a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them, he went to the city of Ephesus. He left Corinth, but he did not leave those he had converted to Christ while there. They remained in his heart and mind. He wrote two letters to them, First and Second Corinthians. Neither letter was a hi, how are you, hope you're doing well letter. Both letters were written to set the church in Corinth in order, because they were out of order. We get no further than verses 10 and 11 in the first chapter of the first letter. Until we read, there were serious problems in the church he had established. Now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it has been declared to me concerning you, my brethren, by those of Chloe's household, that there are contentions among you. There were contentions to such a degree in this congregation that the Corinthian body of Christ was divided, denominated over various men, Paul, Apollos, Cephas, and even Christ. Denominationalism is sin, whether it is in Christendom in general or it is in the New Testament church that Jesus built. The Corinthian body of Christ was divided not only over men. They were divided over doctrine. There was carnality in the church, and there was ignorance in the church, a deadly combination that still plagues the one body of Christ. Corinthian Christians who had been converted to Christ through the ministry of Apostle Paul were ignorant of what was right doctrine and what was wrong doctrine, what was true doctrine and what was false doctrine. This problem is still with us in some congregations that profess to be part of the church Jesus built. But the problems of carnality and doctrinal ignorance were gross in the Corinthian congregation. The members of this local church tolerated incest. They took brethren to court to have their case decided by unrighteous believers. They were doctrinally unstable concerning the issues of marriage, separation, and divorce. They were divided concerning what to eat and what not to eat. They came together to observe the Lord's sacred supper, 
only to disgrace it. Spiritual gifts were used not for mutual edification, but were misused for personal glory. They had doubt about there being a resurrection of the dead. This congregation that had been founded by a gifted, inspired apostle of Jesus Christ was in a mess. Some congregations among us are in a mess, but I have yet to see one that is this messed up. It is no wonder Paul closed this first epistle saying, O Lord, come, Maranatha. It is the second epistle that Paul wrote to the Corinthians about which this message and those that follow will focus. It is this second epistle that from our point of view stretches our imaginal, our spiritual imagination. Were it not that we know this epistle is inspired of God, we would perhaps scratch our heads and say, I'm not sure I believe this. When we consider what we have already considered, that it was Paul who established the church in Corinth, that the members of this congregation heard, believed, and obeyed the gospel message preached by him, and that Paul was a proven, inspired apostle of Jesus Christ. It is difficult to know how some in this congregation could doubt his apostleship, but some did. Were it not for the 10th and 11th chapters of this second epistle, we would find it difficult to know why Paul's apostolic authority was challenged and rejected by those to whom he had made known the saving message of the gospel. Before we go further, I have a personal word to say to my brother preachers. The next time you have a personal pity party for yourself, because of the way in which some of your brethren treat you, including even those who you have immersed into Christ for the remission of their sins and to receive the indwelling gift of the Holy Spirit, Take time away from the party that only you are attending and read 2 Corinthians 10 and 11. Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians 11 verse 5 that he was not at all inferior to the most eminent apostles and yet he suffered slander even from some who were of like precious faith. We may as well face up to it, beloved. Some of the worst enemies to the cause of Christ are those who profess to be a part of the family of God. Let us not forget. It was the Roman authorities who drove the nails into the hands and feet of the Lamb of God. But it was the Jewish religious authorities who hounded his holy heels took him to those Roman authorities to do their dirty work. As Apostle John wrote in John 1 verse 11, He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. The Apostle Paul, who, as he said in 1 Corinthians 15 verse 10, labored more abundantly than all the apostles, 
who, as he said in 2 Corinthians 12, verse 11, was behind the most eminent apostles in nothing, defended his apostleship without shame or guilt. He had nothing about which to be ashamed and had done nothing about which to feel guilt. He faithfully preached and taught the gospel of Jesus Christ to those in Corinth and in all the other cities he had entered during his three missionary journeys. He fearlessly defended the gospel of Christ and his own ministry. In doing this, in the case of the Corinthian church, he wrote in verses 12 through 15 of 2 Corinthians 11, What I do, I will also continue to do, that I may cut off the opportunity from those who desire an opportunity to be regarded just as we apostles are in the things of which they, my false accusers, boast. For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his, Satan's ministers, also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness, whose end will be according to their works. No niceties, no diplomacy, no tact, no pussyfooting. Paul's preaching and writing when addressing false doctrine or false teachers, false preachers or false apostles, was thoroughly apostolic, blunt, to the point, no cards held, telling it just like it was. There were men who were false apostles infiltrating the holy, pristine body of Christ in Corinth. They professed to be apostles of Christ, but they were liars. They were deceitful workers. They were like Satan, who transforms himself into an angel of light. In fact, they were his ministers, ministers of Satan. They had nothing to do with Christ and his gospel, and Christ had nothing to do with them and their false gospel. They appeared to be ministers of righteousness, but there was nothing righteous about them. They were ministers of Satan, and there is nothing righteous about him, including his servants. Nothing has changed since the first century. We still have ministers of Satan among us who appear as righteous messengers of light while serving the Lord of darkness. A great number of people in Christendom do not have enough knowledge of God's Word to recognize them when they stand behind the pulpit of the congregation in which they are a member. The Word of God reveals there are two kinds of ministers in religion. One group is the ministers of Satan. The other group is the ministers of Christ. It is written in 2 Corinthians 11, verses 13 through 15, that we read of the first group. It is in 1 Corinthians 4, verse 1, and 2 Corinthians 3, verses 4 through 6, that we read of the second group. 
To the church in Corinth, Paul wrote in his first epistle, Let a man so consider us apostles as servants, as ministers of Christ. To the church in Corinth, Paul wrote in his second epistle, We apostles have such trust through Christ toward God. Not that we apostles are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God, who also made us apostles sufficient as ministers of the new covenant. And so there you have it, ladies and gentlemen, if you are able to receive the truth of God's word. There are ministers of Satan and there are ministers of Christ in the world of religion. It was in 1965 that Life magazine featured on its front cover the picture of the face of a man who started the Church of Satan in San Francisco, California. This and other matters lead us to wonder in this day, can anything good come out of San Francisco? The man who owned this face authored the Satanic Bible. The man's name was Anton LaVey. Life magazine had a large distribution, and journalists clamored to interview LaVey to ask him why in the world did he dare start a church called Church of Satan and author a Bible with Satan's name on it in a nation that claims to be a Christian nation. His response was simple. He said there are more people in the United States interested in serving the devil than serving the Christian's God. His response was not only simple, it was true. It still is true, despite the statistics we are given concerning the number of people who claim to be a Christian. You and I can claim to be a toad, but that doesn't make us one. Ministers of Satan are nothing new. They are as old as at least the dating of 2 Corinthians. There have been many preachers of the devil since the founding of the church that Jesus built with his own blood. Sometimes these preachers of the devil expose themselves as astrologers or soothsayers or sorcerers or necromancers. This should be no surprise. The first preacher in God's word was Satan. He began his preaching career in the Garden of Eden of Genesis 3. The Garden in Eden where God placed the man Adam and the woman Eve. At that time there was only one law that this couple had to obey. It was the law of Genesis 2, verse 17. God said, Of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. At that time, there was only one verse to preach or memorize, and Satan preached it but he changed it to say something that God did not say. His ministers, ministers of Satan, 
have been doing the same thing ever since that day of long ago. Satan had a small congregation. He had only one person to whom to preach. Her name was Eve. His auditorium was the garden. Before he preached his lie, the two of them had a get-to-know-each-other session, at which time Eve told him what God had said in Genesis 2, verse 17. But even she could not quote God's word correctly. This problem has persisted through the ages. Few preachers quote God's word. They either can't or they don't. Most preachers choke on Acts 2, verse 38. I have heard more than one nationally known preacher botch this verse of Acts 2, verse 38. They say that Peter said, Repent for the remission of sins, when he said no such thing. He said, Repent and let every one of you be baptized for the remission of sins. Ministers of Satan have a tough time with that verse. Eve told Satan that God had told her husband that no one could touch the tree lest you die. But that is not what God said. She not only changed God's word, she added to it. Women and men, ministers of Satan, have been making the same deadly mistake ever since. Things have been added to God's Word by denominationalism, and things have been deleted from God's Word by denominationalism. And lost souls have been paying an eternal price for it ever since. Preacher Satan was quick to correct what she thought she had heard God said. He said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Eve did what countless millions do with God's word. She believed the preacher rather than believing what God had actually said. Preacher Satan challenged God's word and his ministers have followed his example for at least the last 6,000 years. And it appears that not very many people care. Not even those who profess to love the Lord. The first church of Satan did not begin in San Francisco. It began in Genesis chapter 3. And many others have surfaced since that time. They are even in the book of Revelation, which was written before the end of the first century. Ladies and gentlemen, if you have the stomach for it, I'll tell you about them in our next message. There's a battle going on for the souls of men. The taste of war is ever near. But I am safe within the arms of God's dear bride. Keeper of my
Ladies and gentlemen, Rick Breidenbaugh speaking. You have just heard another Gospel Defender Ministries radio broadcast brought to you by the church that Jesus built and preaches all of the word to all of the world. Jesus said in Mark 16, 16, He who believes and is baptized will be saved. Find someone today who will immerse you into Christ today before it is everlastingly too late. Our mailing address is Gospel Defender Ministries, Post Office Box 575 Chillicothe, C-H-I-L-L-I-C-O-T-H-E, Chillicothe, Ohio, Zip 45601. You can also contact us through the World Wide Web at gospel-defender.org or by email at agosdef, A-G-O-S-D-E-F, agosdef at roadrunner.com. At your request, a written transcript or an audio copy of today's message will be sent to you free of charge with no obligation from you now or in the future. We need to hear from you as soon as possible, so please take the time to contact us today. Now, until you and I meet again at this same time and at this same place, our prayer is that you will be steadfastly set for the defense of the gospel. Amen.